be looking at Genesis 6, verse 11 to uh, 22, the end of the chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its width, its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower second and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come shall come into in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. He sends the reading of God's word. As we turn our attention now to this uh, text of scripture, our focus will be on verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, etc. So this is a series on the sacraments. The sacraments of the New Testament era are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so this is where our focus will be eventually. I don't know how long this will take. I haven't planned it out. I'm just enjoying the ride. So we will, uh, I do know where I'm going next time. We'll be looking at Genesis 9. Uh, and eventually Genesis 15 and 17. So beyond that, we're just going to have so much fun that who knows that we may keep going. But this is this is uh, this is a text, interestingly, where sacraments don't occur. So there are no sacraments here. Uh, this is a this is a text though that's really important for us to understand uh, about the sacraments because. The sacraments are a sign and seal of the covenant of grace. Now, covenant of grace is our term in Reformed theology for the divine covenants in their unity. There's distinction and development in the covenants, the various covenants that God makes uh, with people, but each one has a unity in that there's grace involved. Uh, and this is a uh, way of theologically unifying different things that have an essential unity, even if you have distinction and development. Okay. Um, now, we're not the first ones to do this. 
if you want to see this, you look at Ephesians 2, where Paul says that the Gentiles were strangers from the covenants of promise. So that's the same procedure. You're going to want the verse for that. Let me give that to you. This is Ephesians 2. I think it's verse 15, but I want to, I want to double check. So it's, it's Ephesians chapter 2. No, it's not, it's not 15. 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And, and the term covenants of promise does not appear in the Bible anywhere else. So Paul isn't, you know, quoting a text. He's interpreting the covenants of the Old Testament as having, as their unity, promises. They point ahead to Christ and the promise of Christ. This is what Israel had. Israel had promises of Christ, uh, and the covenants have as their central promise Christ. So he's unifying the different covenants with Christ and promise. Um, that's all we're doing with covenant of grace. We're unifying the different covenants with grace as at their center. And grace means they focus on a mediator, and our mediator is Christ. So we could just as well say covenants of Christ. There's no, nothing wrong with that. It's simply we use the term grace to differentiate it with the covenant of works. So it's, a, it's simply a theological shorthand is what it is. So this is, this is quite common in our theology. It goes back uh, to the first use of this, I think. It's in the 1500s. I'd have to double check it, but I think there was a fellow named Bullinger who did this. He's, he wrote a book on covenants, and I think this is where you find it, in the 1500s. So this is, this is of long standing. But our confessional documents and the catechisms talk about uh, the sacraments being a sign and seal of the covenant of grace. Uh, and, and what we're going to see here today is some of the biblical evidence for that. Uh, so that's why, how it relates to sacraments. This, this is a really important preliminary study for that uh, point. Now, let me uh, read to you from the Westminster Larger Catechism. This is our uh, standard. This is, goes back to 1647 or 48. Uh, when it was composed as a guide for the church in how to articulate these things, and it has a question and answer format. And here's Westminster Larger Catechism 30 and 31. Did God leave all mankind to perish in the estate of sin and misery? This is following up on the fall of Adam. God did not leave all men to perish in the estate of sin and misery, into which they fell by the breach of the first covenant, commonly called the covenant of works, but of his mere love and mercy delivered his elect out of it and brought them into an estate of salvation by the second covenant, commonly called the covenant of grace. So this is, notice how it said commonly called. This is, this is a typical language. Now, number 31. With whom was the covenant of grace made? Answer, the covenant of grace was made with Christ as a second Adam, and in him with all the elect as his seed. 
So the covenant of grace was made with Christ as a second Adam. So immediately after the fall of the first Adam, God made a covenant of grace with the first, uh, with the second Adam, and that is in Genesis 3.15. So that's that promise that God would send a seed who would crush the serpent's head, uh, even if the serpent were to bruise his heel. That's, that's that, that's the covenant promise embodied, and it's a promise that Christ would be the great mediator to bring deliverance to his people. And that's where that started. And then everything else adds to that. As scripture unfolds, you get more and more information on that. This is the nature of scripture. An unfolding uh, addition added on to our redemption as God reveals more and more. So this is where the covenant of grace originates. So we're going to be looking at the covenant of grace here in our passage, uh, even though there's no sacraments here. But notice that the uh, covenant that God talks about in verse 18, let me read this again. So back to Genesis 6:18, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Uh, and, this is, and then he starts articulating the, the duties of Noah. But this is a covenant that is going to be deliverance from God's wrath. His wrath is going to be poured out on the whole earth, but he will deliver Noah and his family. And that's what this covenant is all about and why it's grace. Notice how uh, God calls it my covenant. And so the ark, as it were, is a kind of picture of the place of salvation, uh, the haven of protection from God's wrath. Uh, There's uh, quite a bit of uh, development of this later in Scripture, and we'll read a couple of verses that uh, relate to this. But we're preparing for sacraments when we're thinking about the covenant of grace. So let's go look at our text. We're going to look at it a little more carefully, back to Genesis 6. Uh, Verses 13 through 17 are part one, so 13 through 17, and then part two is 18 through 22. There's actually some uh, stuff in this text that show structure along those lines. So in part one, you have the context of this redemptive covenant, this covenant of grace application to Noah and his family. Uh, and, and so God opens by saying, speaking to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. And then he gives instruction for the ark. Now it's spoken to Noah. Interesting, isn't it? God said to Noah. So Noah is a, a singularly the one being spoken to. His wife and his sons and his sons' wives, they're not being addressed here. This is simply an address through Noah. This will become important later. And then you get these instructions for the ark, which go down uh, into some particulars, including uh, bringing um, food in there. But then God tells him again, verse 17, uh, that he will bring the flood of waters. He's already said this. Um, he, He said to Noah in verse 13, I've determined to make an end of all flesh. 
And then in 17, for behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. And this is what I said is structurally. There's repetition at the beginning and the end acts as a kind of uh, boundary markers of our passage, verses 13 through 17. This is, if you're going to read he- the Hebrew Bible, this is the kind of thing you look for. You look for this kind of repetition to give structure to a text that uh, may not look otherwise to have a, a structure or body to it. And this, this is how they do it. Uh, now verse 18 and following, uh, but I will establish my covenant with you, So here we have the term covenant, and we're going to have to deal with this verb establish. This is a pretty important uh, point in our text, and I'll be making a very clear point later uh, on what the meaning is here. And then you get these specifics of, furthermore, in verse 21 in particular, uh, specifics for salvation. This is, big part, 18 through 21. Uh, Specifically, who is going to benefit from this covenant being made, being established with Noah. Then in verse 21, you have a very important statement. Did I say 21? Excuse me. 22 at the end of the second section, verse 22. A very important statement. Noah acts in faith. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. this is this again is very important when you're reading the Hebrew Bible that you get these indicators of a person's faith. You know what a person believes by what they do. And Noah believed God. He believed him about bringing the flood and so he acted on that belief. And you don't the narrator doesn't say and Abraham believed God, and then he did this. Well, obviously he believed God because this is what he did. He did what the Lord commanded him, and that that was an act of faith. Uh, And this is how the Hebrew Bible works. You know what people believe by what they do and they say. They do things and they say things because of what they believe. So if he didn't do this, it's unbelief. Uh, He didn't believe God. So he didn't make the ark. That would, you know, that would be a sign of unbelief. But instead, you see an indicator of his faith. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not making this up. I don't originate this. This is in the Bible. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. If you want to do a very interesting study, just do a study where you search for the name Noah. And every place you find Noah outside of this Genesis narrative, his righteousness is addressed. Uh, In one place it says that if there were three men like uh, Daniel and Noah and somebody else, uh, I would not bring disaster on the earth. So Noah's righteousness is always upheld. Now Hebrews 11 verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. That could come right out of Paul. His righteousness didn't save him. It was the righteousness of his faith that saved him, and that's imputed to him by 
of Christ's righteousness. He became a member of the covenant of grace. This is exactly what we mean by that. He received the benefits of the covenant of grace. The work of Christ applied to him so that his righteousness is perfect before God. And that is the righteousness according to faith. This comes right out of the book of Romans. <laughs> this is exactly what Paul says uh, about our righteousness. Imputed to us by Christ uh, by faith. And notice that. By faith he did this and became an heir of the righteousness according to faith. By the way, if you're an heir of something, it's something you receive in the future. So he has it now as a promise, but when he stands before the judgment seat of God, he will be accounted righteous because of Christ's work. That's what our author says. So when I say that Noah is acting out of faith, I'm not making it up. I'm simply following the divine, divinely inspired author of Hebrews who says, yeah, he was acting out of faith. This is how you read the Bible. Uh, so, brothers and sisters, we're, we're very concerned in our tradition to find uh, ways of interpreting Scripture from within Scripture itself. And so I'm demonstrating to you that when we talk about covenant of grace and such and, you know, tribute faith to Noah, that we're following the lead of Scripture on this. This is how Scripture itself interprets things. Uh, and, and we can then uh, do our own interpretation of text based on this method. Now, let's go back to the, really, to the central thing that I want to bring to your attention uh, from Genesis 6 again, going back to Genesis 6.18. Um, and that is this word, establish. So reading again Genesis 6.18, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Now, in English, current English, we don't have a way of distinguishing between a singular you and a plural you. We used to, but we don't do that anymore. So our old-fashioned way of saying you singular would be thou and thy. You know, this is why we have these in our hymns, because you're addressing God who's one God. So thou. Uh, and you is plural back then in the Old Testament time, or in the uh, King James time, excuse me. Uh, well, our English translation can't bring out the fact that in Hebrew, in Genesis 6.18, this is how it reads, but I will establish my covenant with you, singular. This is the singular you, not the plural you. The covenant is being established with Noah, you singular. And you singular shall come into the ark, you singular, and your sons, your wife, your son's wives with you. So there are beneficiaries of this covenant extending beyond Noah. They become beneficiaries of this covenant being established with Noah. And so this is, this is a really important point in understanding what's happening here. Now this term established, there is no good word in English to translate what's going on here. So that's why you have me to explain it to you. 
Uh, and so I'm going to explain it as carefully as I can. There is a common word for initiating a covenant, setting up a covenant and starting it, ratifying it. A covenant is a oath-bound, solemnly-bound commitment between two or more parties. So if you want to see a covenant being established, you come to the wedding yesterday. That's a covenant being made. Okay, that's being, and in the, in the old language, it's being cut. They would talk about cutting a covenant. Uh, and that's, that's what happened yesterday at the wedding. A covenant was made. But this is not that term. In Genesis 6.18, that's not the term being used. This is not the start of the covenant. This is a term used for extending a covenant to new participants. But the covenant's already in existence. That's the key thing. The covenant's already there, but now someone else is going to be the beneficiary of it. And that's Noah, singular. I will establish my covenant with you. Now, if you want to see this, let me give you, uh, let me give you one example in contrast. Uh, and no, I'm not going to do that. Let's just skip that. I'm just going to give you a one good example of this. I could do more, but just for time's sake. And that's in Genesis 17:21. And Genesis 26.3. So I'll read those for you, but if you want to trace those down on your own, Genesis 17.21 and Genesis 26.3. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Now God's speaking to Abraham. And God had initiated a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. You know Genesis 15, right? Cut the animals in two, smoking pot walks, you know, travels between the cut, cut aside animals. That's cutting a covenant. Why? You cut the animals into two, split them apart, and then you make the covenant. So that's initiating that covenant. Uh, so that covenant that God made with Abraham he now, in Genesis 17.21, says, I will extend this covenant to Isaac, the one I made with you. Now 26.3. Uh, now God is speaking directly to Isaac. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, Isaac, and I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish, this is that same word, the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. An oath and a covenant are, are the same thing. A covenant is sealed with an oath. Sometimes you'll find the oath that he made with our father Abraham, the covenant he swore to him. This is the language of covenant making. An oath and a covenant, because the oath seals a covenant. That's the main thing to keep in mind. So here, he establishes this oath that he made to Abraham, that he's now extending, or extending that oath that he made to Abraham to Isaac. So the idea here is, back to Genesis 6, Noah is receiving a covenant that's already been made 
and he becomes a participant in it, he now becomes a beneficiary of it. Now let me ask you something. When you were baptized, what covenant were you baptized into? The new covenant. When was that made? It was already made. It was made on the cross. That's what Hebrews 9 says. So it's the same thing, see? When you are baptized, this covenant is being extended to you and you become a participant in it. It's established with you. But it's a covenant already in existence. That's what's happening with Noah. And so now the question is, what covenant is God talking about? Now, let's look at Genesis 6, 18 again. I will establish my covenant with you. <laughs> this is my covenant. I'm going to establish, I'm going to get, make you the beneficiary of my covenant. Well, when did God make a covenant? Genesis 3.15, when he gave his word that he would bring a seed to the woman who would crush the serpent's head. That's the covenant. God obliged himself. That has the, the power of an oath. He has, he has made this promise. He sealed it. Uh, he seals it to Adam and Eve with the animal skins clothing them. That's the seal of it. The promise is then sealed to them in those animal skins. And then here in Genesis 6, the same covenant now is extended to Noah in particular. So that, going back to Hebrews eleven seven, Noah became savior of his household. See, there he's a type. He's a type of Christ. This is why his righteousness is always brought forward in Scripture. Noah's righteousness is why God acted this way toward him. Well, it's a type. So he's a, he looks to us like Christ. He's the Savior of the household of God. Who's the builder of God's household? Hebrews 3. Christ is the builder of God's household. The builder of the house. Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. There it is. We heard that today in our passage. <laughs> Jesus himself says it. The master of the house and then the people in the house. You're the people in the house. Our Lord Jesus is the master of the house because this is his house. And he, he is the savior of his household. And that's the covenant of God given to you. You become the beneficiaries of that covenant. My covenant I establish with you. And you see, brothers and sisters, this is important for sacraments because this is what's happening in the sacraments. This covenant is established with us in baptism. It's, it's being conveyed to us. We become the beneficiaries of a covenant already in existence. One final word, just, to, just very briefly. When you hear the Lord's Supper being administered and they read the word of institution, what does Jesus say? about the cup. This is my blood of the covenant, or this cup is my covenant. There's two different forms, so let me get the, uh, let me get the first Corinthians one. I've been reading the Matthew form so much, 
because we're in Matthew that I've, I need to read the... So it's 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then the Matthew form says, uh, This is my blood of the covenant. This is the Lord's covenant. He's the one making it. It's his blood that that initiates this covenant. The new covenant is conveyed uh, to us later, but it's now initiated on the cross, and that's Hebrews 9, which we'll get to. I mean, this is part of the sacrament stuff. Hebrews 9 is a very important passage in light of that, showing that the new covenant was initiated on the cross. It, it, it began. Uh, and now we become the beneficiaries. So, brothers and sisters, uh, thank you for your patience on this, but this is more of a teaching time on this, uh, this text. But let me encourage you that it's the Lord's covenant extended to you. This means that it really doesn't depend on you except to receive it by faith. And then you too become heirs of the righteousness according to faith, like Noah. That's the, that's the gospel. And that's the grace of God extended to us. So, let us conclude with prayer. Father, you have done this wonderful work in Noah. He became Savior of his household that we can see our Lord Jesus Christ in his actions. He uh, is a portrait of Christ. He himself personally became heir of the righteousness according to faith like we do. And this is only because you did send your great son. And he accomplishes the reality, O Lord, typified by Noah and seeing his whole household saved. We are saved from eternal wrath by our dear Savior, the covenant mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you will help us to stand fast in these wonderful biblical truths all of our lives, that we may uh, on the last day also hear what Noah will hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Father and the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. We thank you, O Lord, for these good graces. Grant your blessing upon us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.